Welcome to season two of the Do More Good podcast. They gave us a second series. Oh, don't tell anybody. You need to kind of just go fast and seize those opportunities. We have no access to any kind of finance whatsoever, but I am drowning in brown <laughs> If your people aren't lined up behind why the change they're trying to make is important, nothing happens. What's the difference between work and home life? It doesn't mean you have to be on 24-7, but you have to be receptive to inspiration. Hi, I'm James, and this is episode 17 of the Do More Good podcast. Those of you who've been paying attention would have noticed I'm wearing a suit tonight. I shine my shoes and have a fresh pack of eggshell 1000 GSM raised lettering watermarked business cards. This evening, I'm out with the corporate team. Hello, can I grab a, a Camden Pale Ale and a Panacaroni, please? Thank you. Right. It's business time. We are in South London for a night out with the corporate team. Rather than hitting a wine bar in the city, they have brought me to a craft beer brewery in Woolwich. I'm certainly not complaining. It's been a while since we recorded in the pub. But I am firmly out of my depth tonight. And not only is there no white wine spritzer on the menu, but I'm surrounded by some big hitting hipsters at the table. We have got Nick Sankey, Head of Partnerships and Philanthropy at World Child Cancer. Yeah, that's what I do. And what artisan pint are you drinking tonight, Nick? Well, I'm on a Ramble IPA, which is a a great pint from the taproom. Next up, we have the head of new corporate partnerships of the NSPCC and a man who deserves a drink after spending his day tending to a poorly three-year-old. It's Ben Swart. What are you you drinking, Ben? Um, It's it's a hopped stuff, which is the house brew. It's, It's cracking. We're also joined by Jenny Tomblin, Director of Fundraising at the Duke of Edinburgh Award. So she oversees everything from major gifts and trust fundraisings into corporate. Thank you. And I'm on the Pinot Grigio. <laughs> nice. Classic. And finally, has to be. a man who is no stranger to the podcast but has just started a new role as head of account development. It's the new kid at the Stroke Association and fans' favourite, Jeremy Gould. Thank you very much, James. I think this is a hat-trick of appearances, it to is. use a football analogy. It is. And you're on the Pina Colada tonight. Bold decision. I, I'm on the Pina Colada, you know. Um, I like coconut. Great. So running through that intro, we have some big job titles in there. I bet your grands are very proud. So let's start with how you got into corporate fundraising to start with. Ben, you kicked off in sports care? Yeah, I did. So I I used to work for Barclays uh, way back when. And while I was there, I think I might have missold some PPI. (laughs) But I, I also started volunteering on a children's helpline. Changed everything for me, to be honest. And... Joined the NSPCC a couple of months later, started working in supporter care. Found it amazing to have so many people call you complaining, actually, and having to deal with that, uh, which helps a lot in your career, I think, especially in corporate fundraising, because that's a a big chunk of the people we talk to will ask tricky questions. Uh, Went from supporter care to major gift fundraising, really loved that, and then became a fundraising training manager, helping fundraisers in the NSPCC and a bit outside to, to learn the skills to raise lots of money. And then realised all the things I'd been doing wrong in my career, so thought I should dive back into fundraising and loved the idea of, of pitching and competition and, and the corporate world. And Jenny, you kind of rose to the heights through comms? Yeah, I started out as a press officer, don't hate me, but in communications and spent quite a number of years writing press releases, as you do. But what I found actually working with predominantly small charities was that communicating the message around the impact that we're making was much more 
valuable and could generate income if it was used correctly. So I thought, how can I use those skills in communications in a fundraising context? And, then, and from there, I went into sports sponsorship. So very much commercial focus around fundraising and fundraising wasn't even in the job description in that first role that I had. And then slowly moved and as I've developed myself and worked with amazing teams in, in, in those years is tagged on all of those different skill sets and all those different channels. And corporate has to be my favourite because it was probably the first opportunity I had to actually be a fundraiser. Jeremy, you were saying the other day that um, working with Nick as an inspiration and mentor to you was the, was the big kickstart in your corporate career. Would you still agree with that? I think if I said that, I, I might have had a few drinks. No, it's very, very much true on some levels. I actually, yeah, I started out in finance a bit like Ben, actually. I've had a number of disastrous job interviews in my life, and I had one or two before I got my first job, proper job, which was at Bloomberg, and I worked in uh, sales and account management. I used to go out to Switzerland and hang out in Zurich and Geneva and sell to private banks and hedge funds, and that was always, always fun for a while. And then it was kind of like, well, I'm in my mid-20s, and who am I really helping here? Bit of change, bit of time out, bit of travel. Found my way to a uh, recruiter, and the rest is history now. I've been sort of working in corporate partnerships roles for the last eight, nine years. And Nick, as well as starting Jeremy out on his stellar career, the springboard to success, you're looking for someone else at the moment, aren't you? A new account manager and... Yeah, well, strangely, I, I kind of took over my current job from Jeremy a couple of years ago. We're now looking for our second corporate account manager. And it, it, it's been great to watch the last guy grow. And actually, I, I, I understand you have a lot of people who have a background in events who listen to this. And our last guy had a background in events and challenge events and decided he wanted to try a bit different. And uh, he was brilliant. It's, uh, transferable skills. And all of you talk about different routes into this and how you've found it and... What is it about corporate that you enjoy? What makes you guys different to the rest of the fundraising department? Apart from the, the Savile Row suits. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm very biased, but I believe that, that this is the part of any charity or any fundraising that could transform your results more than any other. Like If you get the right corporate partner, especially one that might appear like this, they may even be part of the problem. You can transform everything you're doing in ways that money just can't. And yet you get money as well. I remember when I used to look at corporate fundraisers when I was in major gift fundraising, I used to look at them and go, God, they look so arrogant. Look at them with their suits and they are... I mean, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> like, oh, I hate them. When you are them, you realise how good you are. No, when you... <laughs> For me, it's about if you, follow, if you follow the process or if you follow what someone asks you to do, you have to join a queue of about 500 people. Whereas I, the thing I like most about corporate fundraising is meeting people who think you're about to talk to them about one thing and you've got to try and convince them to do something completely different in a way to use their time in a way that's completely different to give you money in a way that they didn't expect to and to do that you need to think in an almost an entrepreneurial way constantly and I, I love that whatever you go with for that first initial coffee or that meeting mm. you might have with someone you have in your head what you think this might be and by the end of that hour you have a whole different amazing project and that's what I think is fantastic about corporate is that the people that you're meeting with are willing to work with you on something that could be incredible and transformational they're not they don't just want a bit of paper with the four objectives on it and you're going to work to those four objectives you yeah absolutely and the other good news is that if you work in corporate partnerships you get to do all the other fundraising disciplines anyway because actually if you're running a corporate account you're going to do some individual giving appeals or payroll appeals you're going to do events you're going to do community products you're going to do some major giving in there with senior people so you've got to master all of those trade 
it sounds like, as you were saying, Jenny, you've got quite a varied role there, that you're bringing lots of different things. How do you describe your role to people outside the sector? Oh, that, that one for me is pretty easy. It's about connecting people. It's all about human relationships, connecting people to the amazing things that they can do to improve the lives of others. It's funny, isn't it? Like, nobody really understands it. To be honest, I, just, I keep using the same example that I've lived off of now for the last four years, which is, have you seen the O2 in an SPCC partnership? <laughs> really? what, have you heard about that? No. Have you heard tell about me, it? I, I've I, never I, heard this story. Any of the IOFs that I've t- uh, to be honest, I'll just give them one, one really good example of where a company and a charity has worked together. Like, I don't want to talk about our one, but if children are unsafe online and you're a charity that helps them, work with a phone company. If, if you work with families and alcohol is the biggest problem, then figure out how you can work with, alco- with companies that produce alcohol okay. sometimes. Okay, so they're quite tailored, bespoke partnerships. You're looking for quite a, a connection there between the two companies. Yeah, I think even though a majority of the money still comes from staff at the moment if you have a look at the way companies give uh, the truth is that, that, that it, it shouldn't be that way yeah. that, that type of money is reducing and um, what we have to do I, is demonstrate why this company works in a way that can transform our charities and equally why we as a charity fit with them whether that's because of their audience because of their, custom, because of their staff so yeah it should be a strategic Nick how do you describe your job what do you say to people they don't tend to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so what would your advice be to, to new kids in the sector that are just starting out? So I've had um, a couple of former colleagues of mine recently uh, approach me, and the people I've worked with before, they're good people. They've worked in um, events and special events, and they've decided they really want to get they into are, corporate partnerships. People, if I'm going to be really honest, um, when they've said to me, when they've kind of told me about the role they're going for, I've said to them, to be honest, if I were hiring for this role, I wouldn't pick you yet. So I'm, I'm not the, trying to... Simon Cowell. I know. Come back next year. I've got the to prove it. I, I suppose my point there is that, yes, there are transferable skills. Um, yes, there's a lot they could bring to that role. But when you're recruiting, I think, for the highest level of, of corporate partnerships in national charities, you probably will be looking for some been there, done that experience. Or you're going to take more of a risk. Now, appetite for risk is an interesting thing. I... Um, I spoke to a guy, I don't think he'll mind me saying who he is. Uh, he's the head of corporate partnerships at Warchild, another Nick. And he was saying recently how um, he, he took a chance on a guy. And he was really nice. He said, look, I, you know, I didn't know if this was going to work out. We took a chance on him. Not the, not the candidate you might pick on paper. And he said he's been absolutely brilliant, breath of fresh air, revelation. So everything I've said in the last two minutes, complete disregard. Yeah, but people only talk about when they've taken a gamble on someone it's worked out. You don't talk about yeah. the person you took a gamble on. So, so you know, I said to my colleagues that approach me I said do apply for it by all means I'll coach you what I can I don't think you'll get it and they didn't but they you know they will learn from that experience and they move on I think there's a massive shortage of corporate account managers and there's a massive shortage of corporate partnerships too I'd rather there were far more and far bigger and all the rest but I'm very clear that we're in a smaller charity and we don't get sort of first dibs and we we do need to take a bit more of a chance and so do you see your guys, people coming in and they're learning their skills and then maybe you lose them to the, to the big boys on the other side of the table here? I'm hoping we don't. I'm hoping we them. can grow them. I'm hoping we can grow bigger partnerships. Yeah. We, we've had big partnerships. Jeremy was at Wild Child Cancer when we had the Deutsche Bank partnership, which was a million yeah, or that very was, close to a million. One. We've had the FT. So there really is potential to transform. I think one of our problems as a small charity then, though, was keeping the whole pipeline going and everything was focused on servicing a huge partnership. And actually, 
we didn't have the successor stuff coming in. And I think we've learned from that. And I think all sorts of charities that might get into that situation should learn from that. It's quite a hard thing to, to sell into your board, your trustees, and to actually have the headspace to think about it when you're servicing a huge partnership as a very small charity. So that kind of juggling there of pitching for new clients whilst also servicing the ones that you have at the time, what sort of other skills are important as a corporate fundraiser? Are they kind of key skills? So for me, I always look for four or five, I guess. And, they can, and that's where I, I think I differ from Jeremy in that I don't actually care where you've come from just as long as you've got the skills or the experience. Because if you think about it, you're going to need to pick up the phone and speak to someone who you may have met or may have never met and influence them to do something. You need to, when you meet someone, listen to them, influence them, ask open questions, done that at any point in your career, tick. You need to have time management and admin type stuff, which oh, some fundraisers hate. But you, and you need to, when, it, when it's February and it's the, the third Monday in a row where you've lost an account and it's pouring with rain, you need to be able to have the motivation to get yourself and everyone else going too. And you have to not just say it, but do it. So if you've done that, and crucially, all the people I've ever recruited who have, who have not come from corporate partnerships are the people who, when they saw the job, called me incessantly to ask me more about it, build a relationship, so that I wasn't judging them on the piece of paper. I was judging them on the conversation I had because that's what this job is, I think. Top tip, just call you incessantly. Honestly, if it were up to me, I'd have no process apart from... Because as far as I'm concerned, to win a partnership, you need to stand out from the other charities, and to do that, you need to have an actual relationship. And, And ideally, you want that to have been made over months and years but if you can't do that you have to get on the phone and call them I've got someone in my team Nick who's a phenomenal fundraiser another Nick he was one of those people who during the referendum knocked on doors to try and convince people to change sides that they picked he's one of those people who was a street fundraiser he was a a headhunter a recruiter and he's got incredible emotion and intelligence and cares and it's no surprise that in a staff vote or when we are trying to convince a CEO he's got the grit that's needed and that's good looking as well is Nick good he's lovely I mean I hope my wife's not listening to this I've got a little picture of Nick in my wallet Jenny I've got a question for you around job description roles and names and things so there are some awful job titles in corporate partnerships least favorite job title corporate fundraising officer what is a corporate fundraising (laughs) officer it was my first ever charity job title by the way so I, I love it and hate it but in this day and age please if you're out there listening to this if you're called a corporate fundraising officer march into your office tomorrow <laughs> demand that you are at least called an executive so i mean i think when you look at the the sort of medium to large size charities you'll find there they sort of ape the language used in the commercial sector okay. um, and i think that's a smart play yeah, that was a question for you Jenny. sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry we're gonna have to edit that and that was the most <laughs> the first edit of the night that was the most awful rant jenny how do you feel about that <laughs> Sometimes it's about matching hierarchy, isn't it? Mm. So actually, officer titles and executive titles are great internally so people can navigate who makes decisions, who has authority, who is responsible, who has accountability, but actually externally they're pointless. So I know at one point Breast Cancer Care did internal and external job titles. Um, at the DOV, actually, I think we've got great job titles, as I would say this, wouldn't I? But we call ourselves senior relationship managers or partnership managers or engagement managers because it has a much broader title and it doesn't feel like it sits in one box. 
So it's not, again, major gifts. That's the other one for me that I always think, well, externally, what does that mean to somebody? If you're picking up the phone or answering an email or a letter to someone that's got major gifts fundraiser at the bottom of that sign-off. And it's really disrespectful to someone who is giving to what to them is a, a pretty major gift. But actually, yeah, may, maybe you're giving 100 quid and 200 quid and, and that's huge for you. you that's that the biggest one gift, you've ever yeah. given. And to be told that, actually, no, that's not very major, that's... Uh, Pass you over to the medium-sized gifts team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we wouldn't be com- we're not comfortable here, are we, around this table talking about ourselves and our colleagues in those those ways. So we probably do need a bit of a shift in uh, a thinking good, a bit a more creatively yeah. about how what what we do and. Okay. How do we feel about product managers? Because I see a lot of job titles actually in events as well. Of oh, I'm a product manager for this event and I'm that. And I know I've just said you should ape the corporate sector. However, if I were thinking about fundraising for an event or something, I don't know that I'd be that excited about speaking to a product manager about it. How you do you know, feel about that, my, 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 Oh, sorry. Can I jump in? <laughs> okay. My, my f- f- first charity that I fundraised for was a lot called Hope and Homes for Children. It's down on a barn in Wiltshire, and it's bloody brilliant. But one thing they've done, actually, since I left, they, they sent me through all their carol concert things, and all, instead of doing sort of community fundraiser... It's always carol concert organiser or ride Rwanda coordinator or whatever. And it's, it, they don't put their job title on it. They put what the relevance really is to the event. And I think it's a really nice touch. I think we're the same, really. I've sort of implemented the use of team captains. So the person that is the product lead on each event is, refers to themselves as the team captain. So that it engenders a sense of team within those guys that they look to their captain to tell them what to do and how to whatever it is they might need to do around training and fundraising, but to build a sense of team. So, yeah, we certainly don't describe ourselves around products. Too. But it, it sort of goes back to the Ben point about where teams feel that they're, the other fundraising channel or stream is different to them. G- uh, Giles Pegram, he was our director. Gosh, he was the NSPC director for 30 years. When he walked in the doors, we were raising £6 million. When he walked out, we were raising £126 million. Pounds. He was a <laughs> remarkable guy. And... Um, he used to say, uh, the bigger the NSPCC grew, the harder it was, as with all charity, you know, two-thirds of, uh, half of our job is trying to influence internally to make yeah. things happen. The phrase he used was move donors round houses, because the donor sees us as one NSPCC, they don't, and same with all the other charities, they don't see it as, oh, I'm talking to the corporate team today, or the marathon team today, or, and, and I, I love that, because it seemed trivial at the time. But when you stand back and look at it, you realise he was thinking it through from that point of view of, of, of what's the donor seeing. So to move on from internally, and your, you guys work with a lot of external companies as well, what do you look for in a partnership with a company? Long Something that lasts term. longer than a mi- year. <laughs> yes, longer than a year, long term. Excellent. Yeah, same page. Yeah. Yeah. Like the first one is that, is if I were looking at where we needed to be in the next five years at, at my charity and the biggest problems we have... Who are the companies that could help us with those problems? And then on the flip side, who are we? What, does the, what do our projects represent? What do people think about us when they see our brand or our logo? And even if not the logo, what do they think about us when they think about the causes we're trying to look at? And out of the whole spectrum of society, there'll be a spike in a sort of audience or an avatar or a type of person who cares about us. If you found that person that's moved by your charity, by the story that you create... Who are the companies that want to get to that person? Suddenly, you, uh, by just ask, asking those two questions, you filtered out of all the companies in the world to a certain set of criteria. And that then enables the conversations to be a bit easier and ideally last a bit longer because it's not about 
did my staff vote for you? It's about strategically, does it make sense that we're working together? Which sounds so much easier than it actually is (laughs) to do. For me, there's something about a power balance and not a power imbalance. And what I think I see sometimes is too many people working core partnerships being a bit too cap in hand with the companies that they work with. And yes, customer service is important, obviously, but actually it should be a partnership of equals. And if you're being kind of disrespected by your partner, if they're broadsiding you in meetings without giving you a heads up in front of senior management or this kind of thing, that's not a partnership of equals. That's not respect. And how about from their side then? What do you guys need to deliver for them? One of, one of the relationships working on at the moment, is, but again, it's a long-term relationship. We've been, they've been supporting us for 12 years and actually they're time poor. They work in an environment where they're clocking those hours and so every hour they might spend supporting us is an hour that they can't bill clients, for example. So for us to work in that equal way that Jeremy was just describing is how can we make it really easy for them so that they don't have to invest the time but they still get the same results they want. They still want the engagement, they still want the communications and feel that feel loved and that everything that they're doing is, is making a difference to young people in the UK but without spending days and days doing bucket collections or running events or doing gala balls and things like that so it's about being smart isn't it a smart objective for what works for that organizational culture and and the type of people that they are i recently i spoke to someone called joseph who works at morrison's he delivers the morrison's eclipse sergeant partnership joseph clark bland yes of course you'll know him he yeah, used to work at sea rider right, yeah. yeah lovely Good guy chat. yeah I was asking him why, because Click Sergeant's breaking records with Morrison's at the moment, and I said, what is it that makes... Yeah, bastards. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, well, one thing was that Sue Ryder were awful. No, he didn't. <laughs> um, he, he basically, he said there were three main things. One of them was that the, they worked so hard to make the cause so moving and so simple to say in a sentence that, you know, you kind of... It, all people who don't work for Click Sergeant probably go, well, it's easy when it's teenagers with cancer. But it isn't that easy, I imagine. But they work, they work so hard to sum up the impact that Morrison's are doing. And he even told me about the projects they were doing in a way that made him sound like he worked for Click Sergeant. It was unbelievable. A second thing he said was that they're so good at making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership and that's not in a way that they ask them to it's just that they sort of make it a privilege to hear about it and once you've heard about it like with lots of our causes once you've got to the heart of it you suddenly feel like you want to do more and then the other bit is exactly what you're saying in that they just deliver like just do what you promised to do like set out deliver listen has that changed in the last five to ten years has that dynamic between or relationship between you changed i think yeah um good point to come on to i think before we come on to this point though let's acknowledge the fact that not all partnerships are big, strategic, wonderful, national, international. And indeed, we know from all the research that's been done that you know, the vast majority of partnerships, are, of core partnerships, are worth less than £10,000. So I think it's important to remember there is a huge spectrum here. There's a lot of straightforward partnerships that do things that they, people want. You know, there's a lot of people working in a company. There's 15 of you. You want a bit of team bonding. You come together. You do an event. So let, let's just remember the spectrum, but let's also get more aspirational. I saw a post on LinkedIn last week. I was think it was Pendle Gate Hospice, but they raised £137,000 over the course of a period of time where they'd engaged every single local business in their area and set them a corporate challenge. And all of those local businesses went off and, and raised that money and they had a big award ceremony for that. And I just thought that's an excellent collective way of showing that actually you can be small 
but entrepreneurial and still raise quite a lot of money that actually a national partnership would raise for you yeah. in a year. The different so approach that they took approach, to that. Yeah. I was recently with a charity in Hull that they were working with a hospice. They need to raise £180,000 to refurb an entire wing. And the charity in Hull, it's Hull Smile Foundation, they have links to you know, hundreds of charities and Hull hundreds of organisations. And they actually ended up only needing to raise £14,000, one four, because they found all the companies in the local area who could make, build, produce, do the capital build on their behalf. And I just, I, I love it's that. It's like DIY SOS. It was, di- it was oh. DIY SOS. And it's clearly, again, we can't all have capital bills. It's not always, even the fact that that's the way it's thought. That, I, lo- I love that. Someone said, you know what, why are we trying to raise £180,000 to then find builders to do this when we could cut that out, find, find the yeah. people who want to help, the companies that want to help, find and get Find a that weekend done. that Nick Knowles is free. Yeah. Get him yeah. down there. Nick, you've recently done your extension. I bet you were down there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of. My, my, my yeah. extension had a leak, so it's probably not a good one to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, for anyone who'd like to donate to the crowdfunding page for the uh, <laughs> Nick's leaking roof. <laughs> so any examples of, of great partnerships? So we're going to play kind of O2 bingo around this one, but any examples of things that you wish you'd worked on, that you looked at and thought that was amazing? I did think about this question in advance, and the one I really like at the moment is a collaboration. I'm a big fan of human charities get together, particularly medium-sized charities, and the partnership that is brilliant at the moment uh, Pinot Grigio please <laughs> Ben's off to the bar um, and it is Poundland and it's Tommy's Make-A-Wish and Whiz Kids and I think it's an excellent example of three similar but very different service delivery charities raising money with a, a high street retailer great uh, Ben's gone to the bar to get us all yeah. some drinks so do we want to mention see, his nor- I mean normally the thing that? is normally you heard can about talk this about partnership. Uh, behind their backs when they go to the bar but I've realised that doesn't work in the podcast format so we won't do that but um, I, I've heard about this O2 partnership many a time have you? Yes. it's a good one I hear uh, it's yeah. outstanding on, uh, on many you, levels do, are you with O2 Nick? I am actually Oh, so am I well it's obviously working I'm still really proud of the first partnership I ever worked on in the charity sector so I used to work for Lullaby Trust and it's the UK cot death charity there was a company that was a startup called The Grow Company and those of you who are parents you will know Grow Bags and the Grow Company really, really well. And you won't believe that they were never an established name. But they weren't always. It was uh, an entrepreneur and he, he had no money. This partnership has now been going for over a decade. When I left six or seven years ago, it was raising about £80,000 a year. And it was all because that charity took a chance. They said, look, this is a good innovation. This is a good product. We're going to work with you on this. We're going to see where it goes. It might not be that lucrative initially, but it's got the things that we like about it. And so that, that is a great partnership for them. It's sustainable. It goes every year. And, and they could easily have, have walked away from it. And it's certainly long term. It, it is, absolutely. If you kind of start every January with uh, a budget with zero in it and uh, you're not quite sure where it's going to come from, it, it's quite an issue. One of my favorite partnerships, it's not huge, but I, I phoned up this guy if I, to see if I could become the charity for the award ceremony that kind of fitted our brand. And... We talked about it for several months and we kind of hoped it would come off and, and it didn't. But he said, okay, I, I can't get you in as, as the award ceremony, but I'm going to get you into the parent company. A couple of months later, we were told, actually, we've been voted to be their Ooh, charity for a, a, a sponsored walk, which actually raised another 20 grand. And then they ended up doing research for us on um, which companies had oncology product, products in their pipeline, which gives me a prospect list. 
they then also created a number of uh, videos for us for free. And these are videos we'd love to have had made, but we couldn't really justify. Because they've got so many people getting involved in us doing more projects, it carries on for a number of years. And if they're FTSE 100 as they are, we kind of hope it will carry on growing. And it, it may never be a million pound in one year, but to have th this group of people who know about us, who care about us, who are getting really involved in us, who are actually, they're not going and painting a wall that was painted six months ago by the last month of volunteers. Yeah. They have a genuine video production skills that they're gonna go and do. They've said they'll do another one for us next year. It's something we genuinely need. It's a great partnership. Jenny and I were just saying at the bar that companies that I talk to where you know you spend like a year working with them and then at the very end when it looks like they're about to make a decision, someone says, well, someone from the board has said that what we should do is ask our staff to vote. At this bar here where there's Heineken and Peroni, do you think they said, you know what we'd like to do is, why don't we have a vote as to which beer we put into the next tap? Like, what they do is they look at the audience, they look at the strategy they have and they decide which is the beer that best fits that model. It comes back to Jeremy's point earlier of, how are we viewed as a, as a charity that turns up cap in hand or as something that is fundamental to the direction they're going in? So Alex Wooding said to me that there were three charities she'd worked for and that they were very different charities, but the one thing they all had in common was the same pipeline, which was madness because the audience was different, their strategy was different. So that's a really interesting point, and it brings me on to the next question that I've got scribbled down here. That's handy. <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? It's almost as if I did some preparation. It can be quite competitive, I imagine, especially going after the, the big partnerships out there. Do you find you come up against the same people time and time again, and you, know, you bump into each other in reception? How do you, how do you handle that? Or do you kind of know that's the coming? The conveyor belts of corporate fundraising. I know this is a thing. I haven't personally experienced it that often, but it, it definitely is a thing. I think one of the really interesting things and often overlooked aspects, though, is about the role of partnership brokers in this sector. Mm. And if you think that actually your average company, and it's so wrong, but they'll quite often delegate these kind of things to their PR agency or their public affairs agency. Luckily, what is emerging is a very skilled subset of agencies and brokerages that are skilled in this area and can genuinely do good kind of matchmaking, good first dates, good speed dating, and really save time and money. And I think that's to be encouraged. I think that when I was at um, Haven House Children's Hospice, we won Bank of England Charity of the Year. Um, actually, we worked with Macmillan on that partnership because we were the, the local, smaller charity, and Macmillan had won the national and... That was a lovely partnership to work on, actually, because our two teams learnt a lot from each other. They went to the same events together and actually built relationships between the charities, not just with the charity with the partner. And I think those things... You then have someone to call, don't you? You always want, in corporate partnerships, I think, if, again, one of the skills that you need is the ability not just to call and talk through um, what the potential is with the partner, but who, who had that partnership last year and what yeah. was it like? Yeah. And would it work for us? Is the culture right for us? Well, that's a good point. You Certainly know? the guys at, at Click Sargent got in touch with us at Sue Ryder yeah. about yeah. taking on that Morrison's yeah. partnership and we gave them all their secrets, which is why yeah. they're raising so yeah. much money, obviously. <laughs> uh, good luck to them. Do you guys have any nemesis out there? Have you gone up against the same people over and over again and always lost out to them? Are they people around this table? It's when the, when the company shortlists the charities and you hear who's in the mix and you suddenly go, oh, because it's, almost, it's almost it doesn't matter who the charity is. It's about what they represent. 
So it's like it's children versus cancer versus dementia, yeah. and then you're like, oh well, I versus I, animals versus animals versus yeah. hospice Bloody versus animals. yeah. Although one person who I do const- do come up with quite often is is Nicola at TCT, Nicola Bot, absolutely phenomenal fundraiser, and we, it's interesting. We uh, a few weeks ago or months ago we chose to just have a cup of coffee and just talk through what do you do what do I and it was uh, back, back to your point Jenny how, how, how does that does, would that ever happen in another sector no, would someone no, from Adidas talk to Nike no. would Tesco's talk to Sainsbury's no. so it's interesting do you get nemesis maybe but to be honest I, do you know what sorry I've talked a lot on this podcast the first time we ever went up for a staff vote and I remember minutes before we took the call saying that if we won this, oh, it would be amazing, it would be incredible. But if we lose this, it was TCT and it was Credit Suisse, if we lose this, then it means that children who have cancer are going to get better support over the next year. Like, and they're going to get a million pounds. That, yeah. Well, <laughs> we didn't lose. But, uh, <laughs> but like, and every time we ever get to that point, even though I'm Charity of the Year, I love the world, but it's a tough one. When you get to that point, isn't that the best thing, though? Yeah. That, all right. NSPCC might not win this time, but another charity that does remarkable work is about to have a transformational partnership or any partnership. I love that. No one else willing to admit to their nemesis well, the out only, there. We don't have a nemesis, but we're the Duke of Edinburgh's award, and I can't tell you how many times I've sat talking to people and explained who we are and what we do, and someone's told me about their Prince's Trust project. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a bit of... That's always a difficult one to manage. There's an elephant in the room here because, Ben, imagine, let's go back to O2, right? That day you won O2. Imagine if the, you know, at the 11th hour they'd have gone, right, we've made a decision. We're going to take you. We're going to work Bernardo's as well. 50-50 equal split. How, how, you know, boards, SMTs, they talk about being collaborative. They talk about these partnerships. There's a tension here. And I think there's an elephant in the room if we don't admit that. Yeah, absolutely. And I just realised the story I was about to say. I probably couldn't. You couldn't. No one's listening. The, uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. In fact, our strategy says that we should need to work in partnership. Of course we do. And so there is that desire to get partnerships. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. Um, we, if that's the case, then you need to change the opinion. Again, try not to get too poignant over, the, over our discussion over our craft beers this evening. If you are in this game for the benefit of improving the lives of others, as you say... It doesn't matter, does it? I'd rather have a slice of the pie than no pie. Yes, it's painful to work in collaboration and consortia and sometimes values don't work and sometimes people just don't get on. But actually, if you're able to then make a difference to the charity that you've committed to, then for me, that's more important than the ego element of it. And so I think if you can leave, uh, my favourite phrase, if you can leave your ego at the door, then everyone benefits. Okay. Just make sure you um, pick up your own one as you, as you leave. Rather than yeah, don't borrow uh, someone that's else's. That's a nice point to, to kind of leave that one on. Are there any disasters in pitching? And I, and I used to work for a branding agency, and we went for a pitch at the BFI, which was, which was a big deal. And everybody turned up in Star Wars outfits thinking, this will win them over. <laughs> and they came down to reception and said, is this some kind of joke? What are you, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Come upstairs. This is ridiculous. And they made... That was, I was not involved. Do in most it. of your meetings start like that, James? Yeah, or? Yeah, they do. But they had to do the whole pitch. One of them was dressed as Chewbacca. Yeah. One of them dressed yeah. as you know, Luke Skywalker and you know, other characters. But they put them through the whole experience. And then, obviously, we didn't, we didn't win that one. And do, have you guys ever turned up dressed as science fiction characters? I haven't, Nick. I no, imagine you've got I, pedigree I here. Royal Parks dressed as a pumpkin. <laughs> That's still and you can still donate. Yeah. Two of the worst pictures I ever had, one of them was when I was really ill 
it was Christmas party season and no one else could go. And I went to this pitch and I literally couldn't speak. You know when you've lost your voice and talking hurt? There were 30 people on this panel and one of them, one of her best friends, hadn't enjoyed working with the charity that I was working for and she was out to get us. You know, if you think of the, the toughest questions you could ever be asked, unbelievable questions consistently, and I remember trying to answer them by going like... And then the second one was just a, a couple of months ago. We had three videos and some virtual reality. I didn't have a huge amount of time to, to prepare for this one. It came out of nowhere. And literally every single piece of IT stopped working. And the, the one bit that did work was the virtual reality. But to do virtual reality, turns out that... like me touching you James because I have to put a virtual reality kit on you which then means that you're basically blind so I then have to put something in your hand which then means I have to hold your hand <laughs> it's <laughs> quite, an quite, 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 it. quite an uncomfortable thing hashtag safeguarding yeah, quite an uncomfortable thing to do with a, with a room of four people you've never met before as you're groping someone's leg you're like ah oh, this we've all I, been there I, I won't we've do this there. again yeah, yeah. Live and learn. I, I always think the safest thing is to go into every pitch assuming the technology will fail. A couple of things that we used to do at the hospice actually, and, and there's been quite a lot of blogs around this, about props. So you can always divert attention with a really good prop. And actually if you take a prop that is the essence of your charity or the essence of the work that you do, then that can capture people's attention. And because at the hospice we had a couple of services where we'd work in play, we'd always take games with us. What makes people think about those childhood memories which are positive? And all of a sudden you've got <laughs> 30 people... Doing Twister. Yeah, that want to ask room. you really difficult questions about you know, what your reserves policy is or what you spend every year or how much your chief exec earns and they're playing with a light switch going, oh, a dinosaur moves, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> so I'd highly recommend just trying to lighten the mood in some of those environments rather um, than trying to keep it at a very high, serious level. I have as yet not stood up and done a, a, a corporate pitch. I've, I've done one via Skype, which was a little bit random, and it was really annoying because it was for the staff vote. The feedback afterwards was that we had the charity committee entirely, we had the founder entirely, but then the staff had just gone off and voted for the nursery, and so you're like, oh my God. But there's only so much you can do. And, and, and I didn't think, God, those kids are going to get to go to nursery every day. <laughs> I have to say, we are operating at a different level. I, I think we are a relatively small international development charity. A lot of our things come from our ambassadors, our business development board, who are making introductions for us. The first ever corporate special interest group I went to was when the chief executive of St. Giles Trust talked through how they won Namura. And there is this unbelievable story of a youth offenders charity winning a staff vote against one other charity, which was Great Ormond Street Hospital. I, I use that story a lot because we feel like we could never win that sort of staff vote. And it comes down to the pitch that they crafted was absolutely beautiful. But it came down to the fact that they have a guy working with them called Junior, uh, who was the head of their services, who would just describe to Nomura, if, you w if we win this partnership, if you give us the money, this is the sort of service we will do. This is the impact it will have on young people's lives. And the reason I know, and he'd sung the whole pitch... And they were sitting there looking at him as, as, as the service lead, as the director of services. He did the whole pitch. And at the very end, he said, the reason that I know this works is because eight years ago, I was serving a stretch for manslaughter 
in a prison and then I met St. Giles Trust. And he just dropped the mic and walked out. That is and, and that video was played to Namora staff, streamed across to them, and in a vote against a, child, a children's hospital, the, uh, which is the only brand, only children's brand to ever have been used in the Olympics. 95% unprompted brand. 95% unprompted brand. In a staff vote two years after the Olympics... When they had been in, viewed by more people than any charity brand has ever been seen at one point in that ever, they won it because of that story, because of the, Rob Woods calls it the Shawshank, the sort of, that you get to the end and you're like, oh my God, it's not what I expected. Right? And the thing is, we all in the charities that we work in, I am sure, have met someone, found a practitioner with a story or have the moment where you go, I cannot believe that this person met our charity and their life went on this path. Yeah. St. Giles Trust was smart enough to realise that this precious moment, this is what we need to do. And that there guy has never least. bought a drink at a staff party <laughs> ever since then, has he? That there is wow. at least one Namora staff member who is a trustee of St. Giles Trust, which probably helped somewhat. It might have eased it through. Well, that's a it quite key point. Do you, do you need champions within an organisation? Oh, Obviously, that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't... Well, do you need but there, someone but there in again, there I, I would say you. that the, the partnership I was alluding to earlier, which we missed out on, we had the entire charity, the chief execs, uh, husband had had cancer the year before and it was well known because he'd become a Twitter overnight sensation with his scars another member of SMT had had cancer the year before and they said we absolutely had them and we didn't get the partnership so I'd still rather have had them maybe we'd have fallen even further behind without them but uh, it, it, it's helpful but it's not everything yeah. earlier we said what happened can you speak to the previous winner previous partners Every single previous winner I have spoken to, and every time we have won a charity of the year, we have had a set of internal allies who have cared more about our cause than they would have normally, who might have visited a project, who might have come to a special event, who might have be a rela- uh, who might just be friends of someone who works at our charity. At the end of the day, that is absolutely essential. Whether that's charity of the year type things or whether that's a strategic partnership, you have to have your allies and your ambassadors so that you can understand what life is like there, what, what they're interested in. And if it comes down to a vote, you can get as much help and support as, as, as needed in the vote. So, and, something and else that really interested me about our Deutsche Bank partnership was talking to them and following up on it. Some of the people that were really, really engaged with our partnership with them couldn't have given two hoots about the next charity that came in. And I, and I thought that was quite an interesting lesson to learn. There's always, a, I think, a tricky thing for, for people working in CSR teams and community investment teams and stuff to manage because the churn, for us as charities, that might feel tricky. But it's even more tricky if you're the person doing the company side role year in, year out, and you've got to pick employees up again, and you know, even if you've not given them much of a break. And you know, I went to the um, Fujitsu charity of the... I don't think they call it charity. It's something like charity of... Sorry, I forget the terminology, Fujitsu. Sorry, Craig. But anyway... Um, but they had a neat thing, and they said, actually, we're, we're going to build in some time for a few months for people to kind of chill out, recover a bit, get psyched up again, and go again. And actually, you know, you, sometimes you need that time. Well, that's quite a key skill for you guys, to go back right to the beginning of this, is around you're going into an organisation that may be, let's say, a big organisation, thousands of employees who don't necessarily care about your cause as much as you do. You've got to motivate those guys. You've got to influence them. That's a key skill for you, you lot, right? Stories, isn't stories. it? Oh, no, I knew you were going to say that. Go yes, on. Well, no, yeah, stories, stories. It's about um, human connections. And it's, regardless of your cause, there will be people in that organisation that have an affinity. You just don't know it yet, and you've got to go find them. 
And you obviously have a finite amount of time to tell those stories and to bring in the money. Do you feel the, the pressure on that? A big corporate partnership or a small corporate partnership can be quite transformative for an organisation. And it's obviously quite public. It's a I mean, big to, deal to within go, your charity. To go and to a major gift analogy, you look at your gift pyramid, you know, if you're thinking about your theory around fundraising, it's you, you need, you need organisations and individuals that live at every level of that gift pyramid, don't you? Because if you concentrate on those charity of the years that we know that organisations have done that, then they lose their pipeline because they spent a year making sure that they get that million in the bank and actually after that million's in, they've got nothing to do after that year and that's um, a real struggle. So, so do, you f- do you feel that pressure as corporate fundraisers out there? I, I mean... Do you feel that on your shoulders or you just back, broad shoulders, guys? <laughs> you're, not, you're not even fussed by <laughs> back, back, back to, back to no, no pressure in this pub right now, though. Yeah. No. Back to Alex Wooding's analogy. <laughs> Stop focusing on charity of the years. It's a shark's world. I'm going to focus on them at times because to win them you need to have occasionally a big brand depending on who they are and we have a we have a big brand there is far less pressure i think if you actively choose to focus on partners who it appears to strategically and for other reasons make sense to partner with and that instantly means that instead of going for every single company in the world you go for a smaller number and success doesn't look like winning them stop trying to get there's a big thing that rob woods does and that that we do on uh, he calls it test drives bmw sales people are graded not on the cars they sell or on how much money they bring in but on how many test drives they get at the end of each month they're asked how many test drives have you got how many times have you helped someone experience what it's like to be with you and be with the car and our whole thing our focus shouldn't be on have you won a partnership today because the quickest partnership we ever won took nine months to actually bring any money in like the longest one took two and a half years like stop grading us on winning partnerships grade it on who are you going after? How, how have you got connections to them? How have you had meetings with them? How, what, how have they met you? If, if that's what you're aiming for, then life becomes less stressful because you get to say, this company, which look at all these reasons why would make a great fit, we've had a cup of coffee with. I've got a volunteer who knows them. I've met the chair. Like, for me, the, that, that works only if you've, you've got, you haven't got the pressure to win money that year or you've won the money that year, or you can say to them, if I'm changing strategy, let, give me a six-month or a one-year hi- hiatus. Because if you have that pressure constantly, that is a, that is a real challenge. Because short-termism, we, it, yeah, then. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're just turning over. You're, the, you're on the conveyor belt, and you can't get off. You're in that hamster wheel. And, yeah. there's, and actually, that is, I can't see that being sustainable for anyone individually or for an organisation. But if you can build those, you know, you're right, the wider connections that you can make. I call it the Kevin Bacon effect, the six degrees of separation. If you can find your six degrees, and again, it's not just about corporate fundraisers, it's not just about the wider fundraising team, but your whole organisation. If you mapped, network mapped, or stakeholder mapped, everyone that worked for NSPCC, I mean, how amazing would those connections be if they all cared passionately about the cause and then could connect you to somebody else that could connect you to somebody else? But, but that is probably sudden, a little bit easier at somewhere like the NSPCC, where so, you have the resource to, to play the long game. Yeah. There again, yeah. I've just spent the last out of a three days in Copenhagen at a conference of... Stag do. Bio- <laughs> yeah. You guys are well, mean. Um, <laughs> at, at, at a conference called Bio Europe, and it's basically a whole lot of pharmaceutical companies and life science companies and companies that service them. And a lot of them are developing multiple drugs, and one might be dementia, one might be oncology, one might be, I have no idea, diabetes. And 
how do you decide what you're going to partner with? But actually, at the bottom line, if you're interested in science, health, and all the rest, children with cancer, you've got to have a little bit of sympathy for. And so I've described it before as I'm fishing in a much smaller pond, but actually they fit really, really well with me. And yes, they might go to Macmillan, but they'd be a really odd fit with the NSPCC. So I've taken Ben out of the equation. Which I'm really pleased about because it's damn good. <laughs> it's always uh, good to say Ben out of the equation occasionally. <laughs> I think on pressure, you know, it's James and I were in Scotland, uh, as some listeners may remember recording recently. Recording a podcast in Scotland with a South East London accent. That is pressure. Well, I you know, to that, that was pressure, but well. I think we managed one. it. But, but there was a great point made there about, you know, if you're a million pound charity and you're the sole fundraiser in that charity, that is pressure. That is sleeping at night. And if you're a two million pound charity, and 80% of your income is, is corporate, and there's two in the corporate team, you know, that is pressure. And so the other kind of pressure that comes in is where we're in this environment where most people are looking at individual giving like it's, it's a stewardship or, or worse kind of game. You know, no one is going out there, or very few people going out there thinking, yes, big gains to be made there. Everyone is looking to higher value. Everyone is saying trusts, corporates, major donors, that is the focus of our growth. Everyone's going for that market. In that environment, and we've seen it a lot on the, you know, on the Institute of Fundraising, Corporate Fundraising Special Interest Group, CEOs turn up, trustees turn up, yeah. people turn up, they say, this is a new role, I'm doing 75% corporate fundraising because we've identified that's a growth area, but we've got no freaking idea. <laughs> we've got no freaking idea where we're going. We just know that that's where the market is. That's pressure. And so I think if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, you know, I've been challenged to do more on this area, I'm being asked to to go after these big partnerships that I've heard of people winning, I think just know that, A, there is support out there. There are groups yeah. and people that can help you. But, B, you've got to be realistic. You've got to look at some of the research and the data that tells you that, you know, your average charity gets probably about 4% of its income from corporate. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. You've mm. got to build those foundations. Yeah, let's include the details and for that for that corporate special interest and group in the every pa- And, again, back to this slice of the pie, every pound you are making is more pounds than you had yesterday so yes everyone has horrendous targets and they're under pressure to meet those targets and that can create behaviors and competitions that us probably around this table aren't comfortable with but at the end of the day if you can go home every evening and say actually i made more pounds today than i did yesterday and those pounds make a difference to x number of people x number of animals x number of parts of the planet that we're trying to save then that's a good thing we should feel comfortable with that regardless of what the bigger macro pressures are around trustees and You're great at wrapping up these points in a nice Sorry. way. Yeah. It's very good. <laughs> so who are, you, who are you guys dealing with on, the, on the, the partner side? Do they have CSR teams? Are you talking to charity champions? How are they set up we, now? We actually work within HR. So a lot of what we do at the Duke of Edinburgh's Award is around young talent, apprenticeship, apprenticeship schemes, which you can't really say after two glasses of Pinot Grigio, and <laughs> talent development... Uh, leadership and personal development so unusually I think uh, when we're working with corporate partners and business it's around how are we helping you to develop your young talent in your business rather than how are we going to work with you in terms of employee engagement challenge events charity of the year applications so it's a very different model so I think it depends on the partnership because if you look at last Christmas we had our big Christmas campaign and it was sponsored by Sky and that was entirely worked on with the Sky Cinema marketing team Right, there was not a CSR person in sight. It, it was a marketing objective about the types of families that we speak to and who they who are they going after. However, most of the time it is, it is the CSR team. But if you look at 
you know, the other half of my day job is working with Robert at Brightspot. When we when we speak to those account heads of account management who who seem to be raising stupid amounts of money, they're not just talking to one team. They're, you, it's a spider's web of people who you need to have connections with, need to steward, need to look after, need to build relationships with. And if we if you are only talking to the CSR team, stop. Get a pad out and ask yourself, who are the five other people that I could be talking to or who could introduce me to other people because you are going to regret that in six months' time. Actually, from a small charity perspective, one of the things that we found very valuable at the hospice was around nationally that an organisation like KPMG might have a partner that they've officially partnered with for that year but actually there's so many individual networks and committees within that organisation that might also choose other charities to work with and that might not be for financial gain that might be for advocacy or campaigning or for awareness so there might be a disability network there might be a um uh, carers network because i know carers uk did a lot of work around how employers can help their staff find ways to make sure that there's flexible working and things like that don't be put off by the big charity of the year scope there's always ways to work with big name brands and big firms but on a much smaller scale if your cause resonance with a particular committee at that organisation. I'm going to wrap things up with asking you guys about your dream partnerships. This can be a personal thing. This can be to do with work. There's just somebody, if you want to just partner with Tom Hardy, that is no problem. <laughs> Who would you go for? Is this for the NSPCC or like... Whoever you like. Whatever <laughs> partnership you like. You can pick another charity. To be honest, I think about this on most days. Years ago when there was the... Cal- when there's, well, it's still going on, the refugee crisis. All I was thinking with, with the refugee camps where people were starving was within half a mile of them where there'll be supermarkets who have got too much food. My wife, NCT Group, when uh, my daughter was born, we'd just moved to the area. She, was, she would go to the co-op like four times a day because you just do, don't you? She, so would probably 15 other brand new mums in the local area who had absolutely no friends who were completely lonely uh, because you have to do the things that you have to do and, and in my head there are paths that vulnerable people take every day and there are brands and companies who are in the middle of that path and the question we've got to ask ourselves is who are the brands and who are the people and how can we get there and how can we interact with, with the very people we need to be speaking to at that point for me that's what we should be doing follow that well, I just wonder how if technology could help with that because I love that idea. Like, how can you help people find what they need before they even know they need it? I'm going to follow it in an unexpected way. One of my favourite charities, for reasons that I can't understand, are Break. Break are the road safety charity. I think I was sitting on their table at the Business Charity Awards a couple of years ago when they got an award for their partnership with Halfords. I thought, brilliant. Road safety charity, Halfords, Simples. Nice. So let's have partnerships like that that just make sense yeah. in what, like less than a sentence. Copperfield going with page three. That, that was yeah. pretty Makes ballsy. sense. Makes sense. Ballsy's probably the wrong word in there. But anyway, <laughs> you take my point. <laughs> Excellent point. So if um, people want to hear more, if they want to follow you guys on Twitter, LinkedIn, should we have a quick round the table? How can people find you? I'm Nick in the pool. I've not been in Nepal for many years, but it kind of stuck. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. It's Jenny L. Anderson. I'm Ben Swart on Twitter, at Ben Swart. And I'm Jeremy C.W. Gould. And you have to guess what the uh, middle initials are um, on a postcard. (laughs) Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I 
I volunteer with the corporate SIG, special interest group for corporate fundraisers. And one of the questions we often get asked around corporate fundraising is about how do people value their brands? When I first asked O2 for the partnership, we asked them for more do money. You have a partnership with O2? I did. Have I not said that? Shit. Sorry. Totally should have said have something about that. Have you actually done any other partnerships? No, not really. No. Oh, okay. Um, but when um, you made a career off one it. hit wonder, one, one, one hit wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Astley of fundraising. I, when, when they when they were when they kept repeatedly saying no, I spoke to someone who had been really senior at Nokia, CEO of LastMinute.com and First Utility, and he said to me that. First of all, he told me to grow a fucking backbone, actually, is what he said. And the second thing he said was that you, you, you've asked for the right amount of money. You should believe you've asked for the right amount of money. And that you should look at all the times, because they're going to be asking, and, and all the examples of where a company has given you the most amount that they've ever given you for the partnership. And then find the things that make you know that you're optimistic that you gave them what they, what they want. And then I also asked the director of consultancy at Sky whose job it is to value the bids that they put into the Premier League. And they said there's a little bit of science, but at the end of the day, it comes down to what people are willing to pay. Roberto Cialdini's book, Influence, the single most important... There's six different things that he, that he says scientifically will help you influence someone. The single most important one is scarcity, is saying that the value of our brand is half a million pounds, but in a month's time, someone who's just like you is about to get it. So it's helpful if someone just like them is about to get it. Right? And so that, that's the number. The, but the formula I use every time is how much would it cost to deliver the partnership plus how much do we think it's worth to them based on speaking to people in their sector who have said how much they pay for things. And then I use that backed up with examples and the Scottish man repeatedly telling me to grow a fucking backbone. <laughs> so basically be ambitious. Yeah. yeah. I think the only possible way that I can follow on from that explanation is to sing Rick Astley. (laughs) Never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. Thank you. And your rock career was stopped because... Was born. Your pop career was shorter than Rick Astley's. I like to think it's still ongoing. (laughs) I know it's been a long episode, so I'll keep this brief. I have to say thank you to Jeremy for pulling in his black book of contacts Nick, Jenny, Ben and Rick Astley Next up we're hoping to speak to Peter Lewis Chief Executive of the Institute of Fundraising He'll be bringing cake because the Do More Good podcast is a year old We're out celebrating tonight Might see you there Before we go, quick quiz for you Kenneth Uh, Twitter Do More Good Pod Instagram Do More Good Pod Website do more good.uk. Uh, reviews. Please leave them on iTunes and all other good podcast providers are available. MySpace? Uh, little K Dizzle, still going strong. That goes in there. That goes every week. We don't need to do the others. That's great. Little K Dizzle.